The Step I Have Taken, Letter 5, by Edward Dennett. Letter 5. Blackheath, January, 1875. My Beloved Brother. For the sake of clarity, I will summarize the conclusions of my last letter before proceeding. We saw that. 1. Scripture contains only one instance of an absolute appointment by the Church. However, the appointed man was not an elder, but simply a brother who was delegated by several assemblies to go with the apostles to help administer the assembly's gifts, 2 Corinthians 8 verses 18-19. 2. There is only one instance of selection of church officers by the church, and the job of these officers was to serve tables. Although they were selected by the church, they actually were set apart to their office by the apostles, Acts 6. 3. There is no instance whatever of the selection of elders, by vote or otherwise, by the church. In every case, they were appointed either by the apostles or under the apostles' direction and authority, Acts 14 verse 23, Titus 1 verse 5, etc. 4. The conclusion from these facts is that unless we have apostles or apostolic authority, we have no scriptural warrant for the appointment of elders or bishops. You may tell me that in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we have those apostolic directions and authority which are required. But, these directions were not sent to the churches but to individuals, those very individuals, Timothy and Titus, who were acting under the direction of the apostle, and thus needed the instructions given there. It is most significant that, in Titus, the qualifications for the bishop a elder follow the direction given to ordain elders in every city. Thus, the very placement of these instructions show that, instead of being our authorization to appoint elders, the Church, by so doing, is taking upon itself a function which was only connected with the apostolic office. Therefore, we must conclude that the method of appointing dissenting ministers is unscriptural. I am convinced that there are hundreds of godly men in dissent who would be thankful to see this conclusion. While they have accepted the traditions of dissent on this subject, they have found it hard to reconcile them with their belief in divine wisdom. Suppose, now, a church without a minister. What does it do? First of all, notable men will be asked if they know of anyone who would please the church. Applications also will come in from movable ministers. In due time, a selection will be made of one or more candidates who will be asked to come and preach on probation for several weeks. Then, the church will meet, and the merits of the candidates will be discussed. Finally, with the aged believer and the babe in Christ all being judges on the same level, judgment is passed on the spiritual qualifications of the candidates. Then, a vote will be taken. If there is a majority in favor of a candidate, the invitation to the pastorate, although he has only been tested as a preacher, will be sent, and the candidate accepts or rejects the invitation as he pleases. All this was in my mind when I was re-examining this subject. Perhaps it helped me to come to an unbiased conclusion. I say unbiased because my own position was involved. I concluded that the minister, as appointed among nonconformists, is completely without the approval of Scripture. Thus far, I have gone under the assumption that there is similarity between the office of a dissenting minister and the office of the elder or bishop of Scripture. But I soon saw that there is little or no similarity between these two things, for, in Scripture, there always is the most absolute distinction between office and gift. While there was appointment to the office by the apostles, the possessor of a gift used it in sole responsibility to the Lord, and never was appointed to use it either by the apostles or by the assembly. 
See Romans 12 verses 6 to 8 and 1 Peter 4 verses 10 to 11. Consequently, it is never said in the listing of the gifts in Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 12 that the Lord gave elders, although apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are all named. Elders were appointed for rule, so they held an office, but the possessors of gifts received their gifts for the building up of the saints, and were bound to use them to this end, in obedience to God from whom their gifts had come. But this cannot be among dissenters because, in opposition to the plain distinction of Scripture, the use of gift is connected to election to office. Hence, a dissenting minister is said to be an elder or bishop. He also was called a pastor. Likewise, he is a teacher, and he is also supposed to be an evangelist to be, in fact, a sum total of all the gifts and offices, except that of a deacon. Is it not strange that we have been so long content with such a system? I found another difficulty, that of one-man ministry. If all the rest had been clear, this would have been an insurmountable problem. I found that there is not a single verse that speaks of an elder or a bishop of the church, nor is the word, in either case, ever found in the singular, except in the pastoral epistles where the qualifications of the office are detailed. In Acts 20 verse 17, he called the elders of the church, Acts 14 verse 23, elders in every church, Philippians 1 verse 1, with the bishops, Titus 1 verse 5, ordain elders in every city, 1 Peter 5 verse 1, the elders who are among you, etc. Thus, it is impossible to justify from Scripture the nonconformist method of appointing one elder or bishop to preside over a church. In fact, the practice isn't even seriously defended, for I remember dining with some congregational ministers when one of them began to condemn the practices of so-called brethren. Interrupting, I asked, are you sure of your own position? Show me your scriptural justification for one-man ministry. He replied, that easily can be done. But, on being pressed, the only passage he could find was, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, Revelation 1 verse 20. The others were equally helpless. This example shows not only how indefensible the practice is, but also, how easily we are led to take solemn and responsible positions without the guidance of the Word of God. Surely, if we desire God's glory, we shall seek to be separated from evil of heart and position and to make God's Word the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path, both for our daily walk and our church practices and associations. To set up anything in the house of God that doesn't have the direction and approval of Scripture is practical disobedience to the Lord as head of the church. I am sure that you will agree with these conclusions from Scripture, for I remember in times past how we long for some change so that, together, we might carry out our work unhindered by any authority other than the Scriptures. We often said that if anything should occur to separate us from our people, we could not conscientiously offer ourselves for the pastorate of any of the ordinary denominational churches. The fact was that we had learned much more than we were willing to confess. Hence, we were dissatisfied and uncomfortable amid the usual church methods and activities. We already were outside in spirit, and we only needed to understand our responsibility before God for what He had taught us, to be outside in practice. Yours affectionately in the Lord. Edward Dennett